congregation, please turn with me to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4. You can find that on page 1,289 in a pew edition of the Bible. Ezekiel, chapter 4. We'll read the 17 verses of that chapter. Here we find the prophet Ezekiel in a rather unique position. The people of Israel in Jerusalem and the like have suffered a partial exile. And Ezekiel among them, he finds himself in a foreign land among the Assyrians. Unfortunately, his own people did not view that as a permanent situation. They thought this was a temporary setback. And indeed, that first exile had not humbled them. So he finds himself among exiled people, speaking to them and to the many other people still living in Jerusalem and thereabout and warning them of what's ahead, which is more exile, more punishment from God for their sins. And again, but to a people who are rather slow to understand or to believe that bad things could happen to such good people as themselves. It's in that light that God uses his prophet to preach his word now without words. And that's what we're going to read here. Now, son of man, take a clay tablet, put in front of you, put it in, in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it. Erect siege works against it. Build a ramp up to it. Set up ramps against it. Put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan. Place it as an iron wall between you and the city and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the house of Israel. Then lie on your left side and put the sin of the house of Israel upon yourself. You are to bear their sin for the number of days you lie on your side. I have assigned you the same number of days as the years of their sin. So for 390 days, you will bear the sin of the house of Israel. After you have finished this, lie down again, this time on your right side, and bear the sin of the house of Judah. I have assigned you 40 days, a day for each year. Turn your face toward the siege of Jerusalem, and with bare arm prophesy against her. I will tie you up with ropes so that you cannot turn from one side to the other until you have finished the days of your siege. And now this part is where our text begins. Take wheat and barley, beans and lentils, millet and smelt, put them in a storage jar and use them to make bread for yourself. You are to eat it during the 390 days you lie on your side. Weigh out 20 shekels of food to eat each day and eat it at set times. Also measure out a sixth of a hen of water and drink it at set times. Eat the food as you would a barley cake. Bake it in the sight of the people using human excrement for fuel. 
The Lord said, in this way, the people of Israel will eat defiled food among the nations where I will drive them. Then I said, not so, sovereign Lord, I have never defiled myself from my youth until now. I've never eaten anything found dead or torn by wild animals. No unclean meat has ever entered my mouth. Very well, he said, I will let you bake your bread over cow manure instead of human excrement. He then said to me, son of man, I will cut off the supply of food in Jerusalem. The people will eat rationed food in anxiety and drink rationed water in despair, for food and water will be scarce. They will be appalled at the sight of each other and will waste away because of their sin. Thus our reading from the word of the Lord. May he bless his word to us. Hard task, congregation, that Ezekiel was given. He had to live alongside and suffer alongside the disobedient people who even with, a, as I said, a preliminary exile hadn't repented, hadn't changed, hadn't figured it out, hadn't humbled themselves, hadn't turned to the Lord, but stubbornly persisted in their wayward ways. Quite remarkable that people can be so in the sin rut, so hardened and fastened to their habits of heart, that even when a judgment is severe as, I yank you from your home, your business, your homeland, your own language, your own people, I tear you out of that land and make you slave somewhere else, the bell still doesn't go, go off, they still don't get it, they still don't repent, and yet that's what God is dealing with, that's what Ezekiel is dealing with, and now Ezekiel has to proclaim this sermon without words by these symbolic actions, and we read about them. He was to take this clay tablet, like a big building brick, and he was to etch into this, this clay tablet a picture of the city of Jerusalem under siege with the army encampments. In fact, it might be that he made little clay figurines of the armies and the encampments. So what is this grown man doing? This looks like child's play. What kind of goofiness is this? Oh, what city's that? That, that looks like Jerusalem, yes. It looks like Jerusalem under siege, yes. Well, what happens when a city's under siege? It's about to be conquered and taken by, and then knows once they breach the walls of the city, then what happens? Only bad things. Bad things. Without words, he depicts this to the people, and then God adds to it, set up this pan, this, this iron grill, and I set, God sets himself against this city. And then there's this portrait that he has to lay on his sides for this many days. It's over a year on one side and over a month on his other side, symbolizing years of disobedience. Now, I don't know about you, I probably toss and turn in bed way too many times through a night. Imagine he's tied up, tied up, and has to lay on his side for this many days. Even if it was only part of the day, each day, 
certainly something uncomfortable where he's suffering this kind of physical affliction. And again, it was meant to draw attention. Here's this siege, this picture of our city, our homeland under siege. Here's this, why is he tied up? Why can't he move? Why is he on his side? All of this was to provoke questions. And it was to, if you won't listen to words, will you pay attention to deeds? Now will you get it? And then finally we come to this concocted bread he has to eat. Uh, this is food of scarcity. This is making do with what's possibly left. It's not your nice little bag of uh, gold bond flour in a bag. This is, this is undesirable stuff. In fact, it's the kind of stuff you would feed to animals. In other words, he shows for over a year of his life, to the inhabitants already exiled, to send word back to those to be exiled, this is what awaits you. Here's your fate. And implicit at that is a call to look at your sins and ask God for mercy. See, even if God sends them away in exile, you don't stop asking for mercy. Even when we're under a heavy hand of God and his judgment and his displeasure, his fatherly chastising, you don't stop asking for mercy. What we find here is a, a people who will know helplessness, hopelessness. We find here a people that need, indeed, divine mercy. So we want to look at this bare existence the prophet has to live, pointing to the bare existence that awaits you, Israel. And to a world today that even in abundance or meagerness lives a bare existence. I mean, there's the literal physical bare existence, but there's also having abundance but barely living apart from Jesus Christ. Now, first this bare existence as an expression of sin's penalty. He tells him, as we read there in verse 9, to take this concoction of beans and lentils and so forth and to store them in a jar and he has to make bread at appointed times each day as he lays on his side for some 390 days. This is, as I noted, food of desperation. Likewise, the water. Um, he had to measure out this food by weight, which would make a little small cake. And the water was barely more than a pint a day. He had to live on this meager set of rations. As symbol, what would happen to a city besieged? There's no supplies that come in. All the resources get used up. Over time, you're running out, and now you find yourselves in great need. Not only that, what would happen to the firewood? You couldn't venture outside the city to find more. So you had to make do with what was in ready supply. What was there abundance of in a city under siege? Human excrement, that was an abundance. You're starting to see the misery the horror of this. And so he tells him that he has to cook this 
food, these cakes, under the most foulest of resources. Here he objects, I've never been unclean. I've kept the food laws. I follow uh, your word in these things as you have prescribed. Not that, Lord. So God cuts him a break and says, well, okay, cow excrement, cow manure. We'll use that instead, Ezekiel. Now, again, pay attention. This is all through these symbolic actions which Ezekiel has to suffer, pointing to a far more horrible suffering awaiting a disobedient and stubborn people. Now, I'm going to dare guess, you wonder, why does a guest pastor come and pick a negative Nelly passage like this? Come on. And we just came off of Christmas, and we don't need such negative stuff floating around, you know? Give us something happy-clappy here. Uh, well, this is the Word of God, too. Now, maybe you think, well, that was for Israel of old. They were a theocracy. They were a national people, religion, and the state was all one thing. They had kings like David and Solomon, and... Uh, so it makes sense that God punishes them as a nation and a people. But we're New Testament Christians. We have King Jesus. His church runs across borders and nations and all of that. And that's all true. But that doesn't mean it's not a word for us. Because this kind of judgment is a kind of baby day of the Lord that points us to the big day of the Lord, and all of us, Christian and non-Christian, will one day come before the Lord on the last, the big day of the Lord. How can anyone say that day isn't, doesn't concern me? Or maybe a different question would be, how can you, how can I stand on that day? Well, I think we most of us would be ready at hand with a Christian answer. I don't stand on that day in myself. I can only stand before the Lord on the great judgment day of the Lord because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that I'm right with God with his righteousness, that he lived the life I didn't on my behalf. He's the covenant keeper that I'm not that he paid the penalty of my sins and suffered the death and curse it deserves, and that because of Christ I can stand before God. Nothing to do with me. He's delivered me from God's wrath. That's a very good answer, I think, one we all want to make and need to make. But then we've made the point that there was a judgment day suffered for us. It's not like Ezekiel 4 is over there and the cross of Christ is over here. It's the same sins under the same wrath that need the same rescue. It's not like Israel was the big sinners and we're little sinners. We need, we're little sinners who get the Savior, they're big sinners who don't. It's not how it works. You might as well say you really don't need the cross of Christ because you're just a little sinner. And other people don't deserve the cross of Christ because they're big sinners. So all that's how it works. If you're a little sinner, you deserve it. 
Of course, that's not how it works. Look at the silent proclamation of God's prophet. Bound, lying on his side, suffering, grubbing out a bare existence with this concocted food. Look at this. Don't be tempted to say this doesn't apply to me. Take Jesus away and what do your sins deserve? Get rid of some Jesus and now you stand before God and you're safe without him? Me? Also, don't think your repentance saves you. Repentance is a form of sanctification. When you repent, you're making some initial steps toward being more holy, of understanding that you need help. But your understanding that you need help and your little tiny bit of sanctification isn't the basis. That's, again, looking at your works. You're not saved by your repentance. You're saved by what Jesus does for you. You can't depend on how bad you feel for your sins and how hard you repent to be the basis for being forgiven. Bare existence is sin's penalty. We have to look it in the eye. Ezekiel cooking a meager helping of bread over dung. What did you have uh, yesterday, Ezekiel, for breakfast? Bread over dung, concocted, icky bread over dung. What are you going to have tomorrow, icky, concocted bread over dung? You call that a diet? You're, you're wasting away, man. That's our fate as a people who've turned away from God. Don't you get it? Do you get it now? Do you see where we're heading? As you see my body become emaciated and shrunken, and you see this, this uncleanness and this ickiness and this meagerness, you see this punishment of God portrayed, now do you get it? Sin penalty. But we also find here a word of mercy because with this kind of bread we're pointed to our great need of the bread of life which is Jesus well no I trust that it's easy enough to serve God outwardly I mean what if the Christian life was just that here's the boxes check them here's the stuff you got to do okay do that you got to do the devotions and go to church and give this much money and you know, okay, 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 okay. My heart doesn't have to change. My desires don't have to change. My imagination doesn't have to change. My attitudes, my loves don't have to change. My outward behaviors just have to conform to the following. Okay, 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 okay. Well, that'd be a cinch compared to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Loving your neighbor as yourself. 
Israel thought they had God corralled. You know, they had God, you can, look, we go to temple. Maybe our worship is by your strict standards of the law, compromised. But, you know, we live around it. Times change, man. But we're still doing it. What's God complaining about? And God says to Ezekiel, I'm sick of this sham religion. Take this unclean people and send them into a land of uncleanness and let them eat food of uncleanness. They want to be unclean. Let them be unclean. And so, as desert, as we all know, desert nomads, where there's a scarcity of trees, back in the old times, they'd use camel dung for fuel. In the Old West, they talk about buffalo pie. <laughs> Even nowadays, where I grew up in the West, they still talk about cow pies. And you let this excrement dry out, and you pile them together, and you put them afire. And out in the Old West, you, know, you put a metal grill over top of this and the like, and you would cook. Ezekiel, however, his bread has to touch the embers. It's not as bad as human excrement, but the cow excrement isn't much better. He's put on wartime rations. Now, many of us have indeed, we remember the horror stories of cities like Leningrad and Stalingrad being put under siege by the Germans so that the population was reduced literally to cannibalism, literally. We find that in the Bible, the book of Lamentations, which is, a, which is a lament about the horrors that come to God's people with this siege. Look, Lamentations 2.20, with whom have you dealt thus, Lord? Shall women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? It's even there one chapter later in Ezekiel chapter 5, where it's, it says, look at the abominations uh, never shall this, look upon this, fathers shall eat their sons, sons shall eat their fathers, and I will execute judgments on you and scatter you to the winds, says God. Bear existence. Indeed, this is a daily bread that's barely daily and barely bread. That's the judgment. We read a little later on that in verse 16 that he, in this translation, to make it more sensible to us, translated as, I will cut off, um, I will cut off the supply of food in Jerusalem. More literally, as I will break your staff of bread. Now think of a staff or think of a cane. No doubt some of you, I think I saw at least one of you walking to church with a cane. Why a cane? Well, a cane helps me be stable and, you know, safe on my feet. A little assistance there. What happens if you're leaning on your cane and someone knocks it out from under you, you crumble? Well, that's the image here. I break your staff of bread. I've taken your cane, your suit your food supply, I've knocked it out from under you, and now life collapses. But here's the thing. 
What if we're a nation like our own that knows abundance? Most of our citizens, I know there's hungry people in our world and we, in our own nation, we need to care about them and help them. But most of us don't know dire poverty and hunger pains day after day, week after week, month after month. But when the bread supply is collapsed, that's what happens. Yet we're in a nation that knows abundance. That does, does that mean there's no bare existence for us? I hinted earlier that, hey, look, people can still be barely living, even wealthy. Won the lotto, they have life by the tail, they can finally take the vacations they want, drive the cars they want, float the boats they want, build the houses they want. Now I can really live. Really? Isn't that a little bit like, I've finally got barns packed with food. Isn't this great? All even and above board. Plant a crop, get abundance, plant more abundance, build, build your barn, all more abundance. But you're dead, man. This night God calls you and you're not rich toward God. You're barely living in your abundance. It's bare existence. That's what Jesus tells us. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. It's not give us bread and blessing. Give us abundance, well-ovened loaves and something else. No, it's through the word of the Lord itself that our lives are blessed, including our bread. If people would only want the bread of life, the bread from heaven, the blood of Jesus, rather than more money in their coffers, huh? Because you can go to hell with money bursting out under the mattress, but you have true life and true riches and true abundance only by living from everything that proceeds from the mouth of God. And among that word is that Jesus is the bread of life. Some people, it seems, live like meat that's spoiled from a power phrase, you know, meat in the freezer, it's spoiled because of a power failure. What do you, I mean, that's happened to a number of us, happened to me once. And we had all these freshly butchered chickens right off the farm. Somehow we did a power failure and we were away for some time, you come back, it's all spoiled. You realize your life can be spoiled God gives it as a gift to use to serve him, to follow him, to love him, to love your neighbor through him, to call your neighbor to him. In all these ways, God calls us to be a blessing in the world, but then it, a life misspent, not living by every word that proceeds from the, the mouth of the Lord. A, a, a life that doesn't receive the bread from heaven, the bread that's Jesus Christ, is bare existence. The bread of life is Jesus Christ. 
We look around, we see people, even some of them profess Christians whose lives are being wasted in the pursuit of compromises, spiritual starvation. We live in a society addicted to opioids, to pornography, shopaholics, alcoholics, workaholics. People distract themselves with TV, with social media, health and fitness, with sports, with sports betting, with gambling, with gossip. People occupy themselves with vacations or their lawn or both. All these activities that become an idol. This is what I really serve. This is what really makes me happy. This is what really matters. This is what really counts. And I know I have to have this. When they become an idol, we're living a bare existence, even if you're a millionaire. Ezekiel's depiction of a starvation diet of this being tied up and lack of freedom points us not simply, oh, give us more bread, Lord. It points us to the source of bread. Give us grace, Lord. Give us forgiveness, Lord. Give us new life, Lord. Give us yourself and your fellowship and your mercy and your forgiveness, Lord. Give us the bread from heaven, Jesus Christ. How did he say it, John 6? I am the bread of life. And he gives life abundantly. Seems like we live in a world in which people need to learn afresh what the preacher of Ecclesiastes said. Remember him? The vanity guy. Vanity of vanities. Meaningless, meaningless. Remember that guy? Many believe to be King Solomon. Remember him? Been there, done that, tried that, experienced that. It's not the way, the truth, and the life, man, I'll tell you that. Hey, what about knowledge and wisdom? Hey, I chased studies, I worked my brain hard, I became an intellectual athlete. You know what I discovered? In the end of it, it was like chasing bubbles in the backyard. What are you going to do today? I'm going to go chase bubbles in the backyard. Why? Because I, I, I can just catch that one bubble and put it in a bottle and then put it on my mantle. I think that's kind of folly. I think that's it's never going to happen. I think you're wasting your time. I think you've put your, you're trying to find life and joy in the wrong thing. It's vanity. It's meaningless. Yeah. I mean, seriously, if your husband quit his job, and said, or he gave up all the life savings because I'm going to, if I just catch one bubble, you'd say that's chasing wind, man. Yeah, it's kind of stupid, isn't it? What are you going to do today? I'm going to go chase wind. Got to catch it. I'm going to catch it someday. Chase that wind. Well, I think I'll try sex and pleasure and everything that can bring. That's pretty great. But it doesn't satiate the soul. You're still empty. How about laughter and fun and good times and experiences, wealth and 
Nope. How about success, achievement, a business legacy? Now all matter. Nope. At best, all you've done is what the big barn guy, builder guy did. Remember the preacher from Ecclesiastes that none of this is the bread of life. None of this is real existence. All of this is just bare existence under the sun. It's not finding our joy where it needs to be. Only Christ is our bread from heaven, our joy. But we need not only the bread that is more than bread, Jesus Christ, we need divine cleansing because here we see that Ezekiel has to eat this unclean food, this concoction of strange bread cooked in this unclean way, also pointing to a people already living unclean sent to an unclean land. Now, what's most definitive about being a Christian? I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I'm made clean. Right? I'm rendered as one cleansed. We even have baptism that then points us that as water gives a cleansing, it points us beyond itself. That's why it's a sacrament. We see something visible, but it points us to what's not so visible, to the blood of Jesus washing away the filth of our sins from our souls, our lives, right? To be a Christian is one who's not better than other people. It's just I've been washed clean by Jesus, something done to me, not something I did. But it's been done to me. Now, God's people in the old days would show something of their being marked off and distinct from unbelievers who didn't serve God by their food laws. The food laws had a way of setting them apart. And these are obsolete now. Jesus says that. But they had their purpose. And Ezekiel was scrupulous about that. No, 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 no. I, I keep these food laws. For my word to go forth, you're going to have to suffer what they're going to suffer unclean, meager ration of this icky food cooked this icky way. Why would he have to do that? Again, it's part of showing Israel this is where the broad road of destruction leads to. You want to be on the broad road? You want to sin without breaks? You want to get on the cruise control of sin and on the broad highway? It leads to death. Jesus says that. It leads to death. And so, to show Israel her uncleanness, he has his prophet have to behave and eat this unclean food. And he does all this, why? To show a people that the way of sin is death, destruction, exile, pain, suffering, sorrow. And we live amid a people, amidst a people that are heart of heart toward God. They're not humble before him. They don't want him mucking around in their lives. 
We got it. We got it. We're safe. We got it under control. We can do it. Stay out, God. If we need you, we'll let you know. Meanwhile, just butt out of our lives and we'll go our way. I'm telling you, dear congregation, the nations of the world are not getting away with anything. God sees our adulteries. He sees our pornography. He sees our greed. He sees our injustices. He sees how we mistreat others. He sees how we don't love and care and act to help brothers and sisters. He sees our neglect of the poor. He, sees, he saw it then. He sees it now. He judged it then. He'll judge it now. Nobody's getting away with nothing. I'll use it bad language there, bad grammar. Nobody with nothing. We need to be humble. We need to pray for the church and we need to pray for our nation that God would have mercy and that he would, that mercy not just let the sin continue, churn us away from it. Change our hearts. Open our hearts to the gospel to receive the bread of life. Deliver us from all that makes us unclean people and cleanse us with Jesus' blood. So important the church hear that, proclaim that, live that. Because this word of God is for us too. Can we have eyes that see, ears that heart, ears that hear, a heart that receives what these exiled and to be exiled people refuse to hear? May we hear. Is the great day of the Lord comes on Jesus for us and it's coming again on the nations of the earth and really the final judgment day makes this child's play so may we be humble before God call upon Jesus our bread of life that we wouldn't live a bare existence but an abundant life in him Lord, bless your word to us. May we grow up in your grace and your truth. And may we desire you in every way to serve you. May we turn from our sins and hate them more and more. For Jesus' sake, amen. Shall we sing in response number four hundred?